Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 41 of The Sco Show. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be back with you on Wednesday, November 20th, 2019. We are basically just a week out from Thanksgiving. And just so you know, we'll have a full complement of shows here at The Sco Show for you next week. We'll have a post-game, hopefully a glorious victory edition of The Sco Show sometime Sunday night. We'll have your usual Wednesday and Thursday shows as well. So if you're traveling, if you're home and you're cooking Thanksgiving, if you're not in the country and Thursday is just a normal day for you, it doesn't matter. We are here just as like, like it will be every other week, next week. So no worries. Today's show is a big one. We're going to do a little post-mortem on the Eagles game, of course. I'm going to do some film stuff at the outset. Then Michael Kiss is going to come back kind enough to spend some more time with us to break down what he saw from this game. It's a big man coming in after a loss. So we appreciate Michael here at the SCO Show. But we also appreciate the places I get to share work with you. And that includes places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, that trio of SB Nation websites, including Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB SCO Show, and of course, right here at Pat's Pulpit. Also do follow along with the hijinks at Mark Schoolfield on Twitter. Got a lot of Bears fans tell me that my my remedy for their quarterback situation, which is to bring in a veteran, say a Marcus Mariota and an, or an Andy Dalton, and then draft in somebody like a Jake Fromm, isn't the way to go. I get it. I get it. It's okay, everybody. It's a long way to go between now and the draft. And a reminder, we'll have it all covered for you here at Pat's Pulpit in the SCO Show. Book the, book the trip. Down to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. I'll be there all week long. I mean, I'm doing something different this year just for you men and women here listening to the SCO Show. Normally, I fly down first thing Tuesday morning, bright and early. get like the first flight out of the Reagan, either Reagan or Dulles or BWI, whatever D.C. area airport I fly out of. So I'm like out the door at like 3 in the morning. And then I land, get the rental, and drive straight to the practices and it's a long day and I'm just a mess by the end of it. Because, of course, look, go out and have an adult beverage or two with everybody at Veets. But this year, doing something different. I'm flying down Monday. That means I'll get in. I'll be rested. I'll get up bright and early. I'll go to the weigh-ins. I've never done that before. It sounds a little creepy. I'm not going to lie. Standing in, I mean, sitting in an audience, auditorium-type atmosphere and watching college athletes get weighed in. It's a bit creepy, but I'm going to do it for you. So yeah, we'll have the draft fully covered for you here at Pat's Pulpit, but hopefully we don't have to worry about that until late January. Not like teams like the Bears that are thinking about draft now. But enough of that. Let's talk Eagles-Pats for a minute. And going into this game, one of the things that I thought about, one of the things that many people thought about, was how the Eagles' offensive game plan would work, how they would look to throw the football, how they would look to get Miles Sanders involved out of the backfield. I thought that might be a situation where Philadelphia could have some success. So I want to talk about four plays. I'm going to clip these together, put them in a quick little thread on Twitter as well, so you can follow along if you want to do the whole visual thing. Or if you like to just listen, or if you're driving, please don't watch videos while you're driving. Don't do that. But I want to do break. I do want to break down four plays for you. The first two are back-to-back plays from Philly's opening possession. The first is that second and eight play, and I talked about this in the glorious victory episode where Kyle Van Noy runs with Miles Sanders on a wheel route. 
And that's the crux of it. It was a tremendous job of coverage from Sanders, but it's one thing to see it on the broadcast tape. It's another thing to see what Philly does when you watch the All-22 because they come out in the shotgun and they go, why ISO? They've got 12 personnel in the game, so they've got two tight ends, but they've got one tight end, Zach Ertz, aligned to the right. He's got Stephon Gilmore on him. They got the other tight end, Goddard, as the inside trips receiver on the left with two receivers outside of him. Sanders is in the shotgun with Wentz to the right of the quarterback. And this entire play is just designed to get Sanders space along the sideline. Because first of all, you've got the three receivers to one side of the formation. And then Ertz, who's the only other receiver to Sanders' side of the field, he basically just runs a crossing route. All it does is create space for Sanders along the sideline and on his real route, wheel route, excuse me. And let's remember the context of the situation here because Van Noy stays with him step for step. It's a great job of coverage. This is on their first drive. This is one of their scripted 15 or 10 plays, right? This isn't a situation where over the course of the game they thought, hey, this might be a good thing to try. It was we had a bye week. We had all the time to get ready for it. This is one of the things we want to do. We want to make sure we run it. We're doing it in the scripted plays. And Van Noy runs with him step for step. It's a tremendous job in coverage. And it's even better when you view it through the prism of the context of the entire situation and everything that led up to it. And so I did want to revisit that one. Then I wanted to talk about the very next play. This is the third and eight, 1346 mark of the first quarter. And... I have to give Doug Peterson credit in a sense. I know that might not be a popular thing in and around the Philadelphia area, but I think in this game, Peterson did a very good job pre-snap of giving his quarterback information. They used a lot of motion and shifting. They did a lot by personnel and alignment where Wentz knew when the ball was snapped to him what the Patriots were going to be doing coverage-wise. Now, in some sense, it's not really that important against New England because we know what they want to do. They want to play man coverage. Especially when you see them later in the game, third downs, they were putting Gilmore on Ertz. So you know they're in man coverage when you see that. Unless they sort of drop into zone, which they did a couple of times. And they actually did sort of fool Wentz with one of those. But on this third and eight, they go man coverage. And Wentz knows it because Jordan Matthews starts on the right side of the formation. He comes in motion to the left, and Stephon Gilmore trails him across the formation. So Wentz knows this is man coverage. Now you might be thinking, look, this is a third down. How are they going to handle Wentz? I mean, excuse me, how are they going to handle Ertz? He's the guy you worried about on third downs. It's why you put Stephon Gilmore on him later in the game. Well, here they use a bracket. You've got Jamie Collins and Devin McCourty bracketed him inside and out. And it's weird because he runs sort of a dig route and it's weird to see Jamie Collins drop into what looks to be a a quarters alignment for a cornerback. But they double team Ertz. Everybody else is covered. Wentz starts to get pressure and so he goes to the one matchup you probably don't want to throw to if you're Philly. Jordan Matthews working against Stephon Gilmore. That's a win for New England and it's a win on this play. And so they bracket Ertz. They get man coverage in for else, and you got your best defender and a guy they just signed off the street. We often talk so much about how Bill Belichick wants to take away what you do best, wants to make you fight with one hand tied behind your back, all those 
catchy little phrases we use, the buzzwords we use in and up to a game. This is it. This play is a perfect example of it. You want to beat us, Carson Wentz? You want to beat us, Doug Peterson? Have the guy you just signed off the street beat Stephon Gilmore in a one-on-one situation. If you do that, we'll tip our hats to you. And so I did want to highlight that play as well. Now, the next play I want to look at is the sack right before halftime. The sack and fumble that allowed the Patriots to tack on another field goal before halftime. This comes on a second and six with 234 left in the first half. Now, Wentz is in the shotgun. And remember, this is second and six. And once more, Doug Peterson does a good job of giving his quarterback some information before the play. How does he do this? They again use 12 personnel. Ertz is in line on the left side, lined up next to the left tackle. Goddard is flexed out wide to the right. And across from Goddard is Devin McCourty. Just by seeing that, once knows it's man coverage, right? You're not going to take a safety, put him down, align him as a corner and play zone unless you're really being creative. And so once expects, this is man coverage, but Stephon Gilmore is aligned to the outside. He's not on Ertz. So I've got a chance to come to Ertz on his quick little curl route, right? And that's where Wentz immediately looks when the ball is snapped. The problem is Brooks does a pretty good job who's covering him, who's covering Ertz, of staying on the route. But even better is Juwan Bentley because he sinks underneath the curl route as well. And so as the play begins, Wentz again takes the shotgun snap. He comes right to Ertz. He's looking right at him. And he wants to pull the trigger. He even starts to throw, but pulls it down. Now, there might be a bit of route miscommunication here because Ertz kind of drifts towards the outside, which takes him even more directly behind where Bentley is setting up. And so if Wentz is thinking he's going to curl and sit down, but the tight end sort of breaks out, now he's bringing himself into Bentley's path and Wentz can't throw that. So whether there's route miscommunication or they're not on the same page, that I don't know. But I do know that Wentz has to pull this down because Bentley is sitting in the throwing lane where if he wants to now throw to Ertz, he can't. So he pulls this down. What he should do, and I know Eagles fans have criticized Wentz this season for not taking checkdowns, he's got Sanders in the left flat working against against Jamie Collins. Sanders has a step. Now, the ball is on the left hash mark, and so he's running out of real estate. He has to eventually break this up vertically, and so maybe there isn't enough time, but I think if Wentz comes to this quicker, there's an opportunity there, but he doesn't. And that allows Shelton to get into him, knock the ball out of his hands, and Guy recovers. And so here, it's not one of the big... It's Jawan Bentley. Maybe thanks to some miscommunication between Ertz and Wentz, but he gets into the throwing lane. Wentz pulls it down. He doesn't get to the check down in time, and he get a critical sack and fumble. So I thought that was a great play from one of the unsung heroes, perhaps, of the Patriots' defense. Last play we're going to look at is one of those third downs where you had Gilmore on Ertz. This is a third and eight, the 150 mark of the third quarter. It's 17-10 New England. Patriots need another stop. Ball's on Philly's own five-yard line. And you get pre-snap motion once again from the Eagles. So Wentz knows. Ertz comes in motion. Gilmore trails him. He knows it's going to be man coverage. And the Patriots run sort of a cover one robber 
where you've got Deron Harmon as a deep safety. You've got Devin McCourty buzzing down to the middle of the field to take away in breaking routes. They run up. Basically, it would looks to be a mirrored concept, but you've got curls from each slot receiver and then go routes along the sideline. And there is just simply nowhere for Wentz to go with the football. And remember, they're backed up. They're on their own five-yard line. Clock is ticking in his head. And so he is forced to come off of this, check it down to Sanders underneath. And Sanders has not only a defender on him in coverage, but he's got Devin McCourty breaking on him as well. So he's got Jamie Collins to contend with, who's got him in man coverage. And Collins, you know, isn't step for step with him, but he's in position. But he's also got Devin McCourty now, who's that robber in the middle of the field, breaking downhill on him to take him away. Now, Eagles fans are probably going to have criticisms of Wentz, and there are criticisms to be laid at his feet for this game. And I'm about to do that in a few minutes when I sit down with Michael Kist and record episode 41 of the QB Sco Show. But at the same time, the Patriots' defense did a fantastic job, particularly after the first you know, three series of that game. Remember, we went through it in the Glorious Victory Show. It was like basically punt, 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 turnover and downs, end of game kind of how it went and part of the things we've talked about even though Peterson gave Wentz help the coverage was still great Mike Freeman over at Bleacher Report had his 10 pieces his his 10 point column today and he mentioned that in the MVP race it seems like it's a Lamar Jackson Russell Wilson Dak Prescott I'll ban that drum for a bit race right now but he mentions that the New England Patriots defense as a unit should be in contention for it. And what we saw and what we just talked about, we saw Sunday night and what we just talked about today are some of the big, big reasons why. Up next, more in this game with the one and only Michael J. Kist. We're going to break down his thoughts on both teams, both from that game and going forward. So that is ahead on Quality Time here on episode 41 of the Sco Show. And welcome back, everybody, to episode 41 of the Sco Show. Believe it or not, I'm recording episode 41 right now, and I just recorded episode 41 of the QB Sco Show. There's some interest and sort of synergy with my day right now. And interestingly enough, the person that joins me for quality time is the host with me of the QB Sco Show, the one and only, the venerable, the honorable, Michael J. Kiss, the Roman senator himself, Michael Buddy. <laughs> it's been, a, what, 10 seconds since we recorded the show. How you been? I, I've been good. Uh, no eloquent his history takes for you today, but I am, uh, a, I won't say excited to talk about this Eagles-Patriots game, but I'm always glad to be with you talking football. Well, it is an honor and a privilege to be with you, as always. And let's sort of start big picture. What were your sort of main takeaways from this game? So there was an article released by one of the beat reporters for the Eagles, uh, a good guy, Zach Rosenblatt, before the game. His article was titled, The Eagles Are Screwed. And I, I, I couldn't think of a better way to kind of uh, phrase that coming into the game. And I think after the game, I feel the same thing. The Eagles are screwed. And, and you know, the Patriots had their struggles in this game, and, and it was a close game, and it was down to the end and, and whatnot. But overall, the Patriots escape with a W as they are want to do. And the Eagles come up short in, in another close game, and, and that's concerning and, and it's concerning long term for the rest of the season anyway for for Carson Wentz who had a bad game 
poor game pressed. I mean, this is something that me and you had talked about on the QB score show. It was setting up for a game where Wentz was going to try to do too much. And even when things were there, he wasn't pulling the trigger on it. Of course, we talk about that on the QB score show. But right now, the offense doesn't have the the firepower uh, to the point where Wentz can lift it to something that's going to look like an above average offense for the rest of the year. I still have my doubts about the defense, despite playing well against the Patriots. We're going to see what that looks like against the Seahawks. But right now, it's looking bad. I mean, the Eagles need to make a serious run, I, I, and I, I just can't see any way that they like they haven't given me faith that that's possible. So the Patriots have summarily crushed my dreams. It is now no longer dreams and nightmares for the Eagles. It is frauds and nightmares moving forward. Ooh, a little meek reference. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Let's go. I'm going to skip ahead a bit in the outline that I sent over to you because I wanted to ask as you teed it up. Going into this game, you and I sort of talked about both on our show and then offline, you know, in the DMs about how this had the classic once presses, once tries to do too much, and then it spectacularly fails and everybody thinks he's a fraud, which maybe you just answered this question, but did that play out largely as you expected? Yeah, I, I think the game did go as I expected for the most part, and I thought the Patriots did a really good job on defense, especially after the 95, 96-yard drive in the in the beginning of the game to limit what the Eagles wanted to do, even early on in the game. You know, staples that the Eagles wanted to hit that the Eagles thought would be there in their game planning, you know, after the bye and so on and so forth that would be there. They just, they weren't there. The Patriots did a really good job of locking up those staples from the Eagles. And from there, I think there was a lack of creativity from the offense to kind of scheme guys open. And then you compound that with, with Wentz's play and you had a recipe for uh, disaster in a really stalled out game. So I mean, coming into the game, I think, you, you know, you're asking if, if, if it's kind of what I expected and it's, it's almost exactly what I expected for, unfortunately for unfortunate reasons. And to that sort of game plan question, coming into this one, everybody, myself included, you, Ben Solak, others thought Miles Sanders getting him involved against the linebackers would be kind of key to this because that might be a way to make plays against this Patriots offense. I mean, defense, excuse me. How did the New England Patriots defense sort of look to contain Sanders? How do they take that stuff away? Yeah, I mean, early in the game, we saw it on the uh, the shot concept with the wheel that Wentz had audibled into. The Eagles were very interested in getting Sanders involved in the passing game, and there's a good reason for that. He's one of their best weapons in the passing game right now, and I think the New England Patriots recognize that. And on that on that concept that we're talking about here, the first quarter, 13-50, you know, Sanders takes a wheel, and this is something that has been schemed up well for the Eagles all year, something that they like to hit. And, you know, Wentz audibles, and then I think it was, it was Jamie Collins or Hightower or something like that. I think Wentz thought that the linebacker in the middle was going to have to scrape over and get to Sanders and it would be a favorable matchup. Instead, they kind of not necessarily two-on-one funnel it, but Kyle Van Noy takes uh, Sanders coming out of the backfield and caps him, and the throw is not there, and Wentz doesn't come off it to some open guys. Then very next series, you know, you have cornerbacks falling off of it or linebackers that are anticipating the wheel getting on top of it. They were on top of that the, the wheel-type concepts to Sanders pretty much all games. So uh, they were very cognizant of that threat and did a fantastic job taking it away because up to this point, Miles Sanders has been one of the more explosive playmakers in the passing game, and the Patriots did a fantastic job taking it, taking that away early, letting them know it was not going to be there. They were going to have to beat him a different way. Now, Michael, since this is a Patriots show, I do have to ask you some Patriots-related questions. I mean, it's only fair. And the first one is this. As an outside observer... What are your thoughts right now on the New England offense? Is it as bad as people in New England seem? Do you think it's fixable? Is it a lost cause? Like, What are your thoughts about this Patriots offensive unit? 
I don't I don't think it's a lost cause at all. I mean, I think it's a it's a pretty average offense when you look at the production that they've been able to put up throughout the season. Tom Brady is Tom Brady, and I'm not going to nail him too hard for a bad game in this one. There was some you know, wind and, and other things in play. He had some scattershot accuracy in the beginning of the game when they were getting pressure. But I mean, when you get to that tempo and you're able to run that turbo offense and kind of make things vanilla, I thought Brady was really on point. They were able to hurt the Eagles that way. And ultimately, you walk out with a W and they do just enough on offense to get the job done. I I am never betting against the Patriots, and I mean, I am never thinking that at week 11, you know, we've fully figured out what the Patriots are going to be. I think this year, more than any, they're still trying to figure out what their identity is because they're also dealing with some personnel issues and some changing issues there. So I expect them to get things right for the playoffs and be anywhere from a, from a serviceable, competent to above average offense when the games really start to matter. And right now they're on a path to uh, – to be at home for some games in the playoffs. So I, I can't have a bleak outlook on this. I know Patriots fan expects, you know, excellence all the time because that's what they've gotten. Uh, it's not necessarily been that. I don't understand how you can be really worried at the end of the day because they've proven so many times that they can get over the hump. Now I'm going to ask you about the offensive unit I've just did. Now I'll ask you about the defensive unit. Your thoughts as an outside observer on this Patriots defense? Because look, after you know the 10 points, they really shut Philly down. What do you think about mm. this Patriots defense? Yeah, there were some excellent adjustments made from a coaching perspective that slowed down the Eagles after that long drive. I thought they made the right adjustments, the necessary adjustments to slow down the Eagles' uh, uh, defense. I thought, you know, when you're when you're talking about you know the receivers for the Eagles, you, you watch them get locked up in man coverage like it's no problem. I know a lot of people are talking about, oh, the, the, the New England defense hasn't really played anybody. Just put the film on. You can see that this defense is playing at a high level. They're smart. They know their assignments. You know, guys like. Kyle Van Noy are very underrated. Guys like John Simon, you know, they just get their job done. Nobody's trying to do so do too much. They come in, they do their job, they execute, and you know, they they clock out for the day, and that's it. That's there's there's no type of you know selfish ball. The Eagles bust so much on defense that watching a disciplined defense like the Patriots is an absolute treat as long as you're not watching them shut down the Eagles offense like they did. So I'm very high on this defense. I absolutely love the defense and the way that pretty much everybody is is playing for them. Now, we do have a listener question for you, Michael. As always, the listeners love to hear from you. They are huge fans of the Kiss and Solak show, even for Patriots fans, believe it or not. And John Limarakis wants to know, what can the Eagles do about Aguilar to put him in a better position to succeed? Or is he a lost cause at this point? Yeah, he's he's a fascinating study as a former first round pick on his fifth year options in a contract year making nine point four million dollars. And right now, I believe PFF has graded him, I think, one twenty ninth out of one twenty nine receivers in the league for receiving grade or whatever it was. It's it's really, really low. No matter what metric you look at for Aguilar has struggled with confidence before in his career. Those issues look like they have popped back up since 2017 when he had a really good year. And that's when the Eagles decided to pick up his option. I do believe he is a lost cause his trump card before at least in 2017 was being a deep threat wide receiver um, as we can tell he has issues tracking the ball and catching the ball i mean you saw it on the fourth down at the end of the game he didn't take a, a great pass to the ball and ended up having to put himself into a pretzel and then i think he faked the knee injury it was like super weird but those issues with him and wentz the chemistry issues haven't been there he's not been playing good ball suffered from fumbles and drops and whatnot i do believe he is a lost cause and the eagles will be looking to uh, replace him at the slot position 
he's going to hit the market. Someone's going to pay him Dante Moncrief money when he went to the Jags in 2018, something like 5.6 to $6 million. And I think they're going to be disappointed with it, but maybe a change of scenery is the best thing for him. So if he does have success in the future, I don't think it's with the Eagles. And I think his time is very quickly running out here in Philadelphia, especially with the fan base. Great stuff, Michael. Let Let me get you out of here on this one expectations for these two teams going forward where do you see their seasons how do you see their seasons unfolded over the next 6 10 12 weeks I think the Patriots can compete with anybody and I think they're going to come into the playoffs in in a, in a good spot and with a better idea of what they do well offensively once they start to figure those things out and that's just going to make them all the more dangerous with a right now statistically historically great defense so I think they're in a fantastic spot to go make another run they've been there before no moment is too big for them. They're set up for success. Uh, so the future is bright for them, for the Eagles. I mean, they just have to prove that they can string together some wins because they haven't been able to do that over the last two years. You know, I, 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 when you talk about the Eagles winning the Super Bowl and the success that they haven't had after that, it's more like the Super Bowl you know, it captured the Eagles rather than the Eagles capturing the Super Bowl, if that makes uh, any kind of sense. And I think they're struggling with that success. I think it's in Carson's head, which along with the supporting cast issues is a problem for the team from a mental perspective. And I, I've, like I said, they, they have to go and prove that they can string together wins, that they can beat quality teams. And that starts with beating Seattle and then, you know, beating the teams that you should beat after that. And then beating a Dallas team in week 16 that has had your number over the past couple of years. So it's going it's an up road, uh, you know, uphill battle for them. I I don't know if they can get it done. I, I, I don't think they can. I've pretty much lost faith in the season and, and I'm kind of looking forward to the future of how they can kind of fix things. And they might be able to start fixing things down at the Senior Bowl of all places where, of course, Michael and I will be at the end of January. Yeah. Because, you know, that's where everybody wants to go at the end of January is Mobile, Alabama. But folks, (laughs) we will have the Senior Bowl and everything covered for you all draft season here at Pat's Pulp. And of course, at Bleeding Green Nation, we'll be doing some QB Sco shows, of course, to cover from a quarterback perspective. Again, you can subscribe to Michael and everybody at Bleeding Green Nation, including, yes, myself, by, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, whatever. Same thing here at Pat's Pulpit. But folks, that will do it for today's show. Episode 41 of the Sco Show is in the books. Episode 42 tomorrow. RJ Ochoa from Blog and the Boys. He will come on. We will do some Cowboys Patriots preview. Until then, friends, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxville.